Universities are fundamentally a place of debate. For students, it's a time of free thinking and working out what you believe in, and then having those beliefs tested. Debate is how we learn to justify, challenge, and nuance our opinions. But are there boundaries to who can debate and what they should debate about? University debating societies are where these questions come to the fore, and those involved must think about what productive, engaging, and inclusive conversation truly means. From the Saint, I'm Isabel Lopesha. This week on Saint Speaks, what makes university debate important? Today I welcome Cara and Alp from the St Andrews University Debating Society to discuss this question. Hello to Cara. Hi. And hello to Alp. Hello. So Cara, you're the president and convener of the University Debating Society. Could you tell us what your role involves? Uh, yeah, I mean it's pretty much uh, all-encompassing. Uh, so we have um, divided ourselves sort of into three like, distinct areas. Um, public debates, which are the events that we organise every Thursday. Um, competitive debating, which is the training sessions that we run on Mondays and Wednesdays, and then also attendance at domestic and international community uh, competitions. And then uh, we also have some sort of social events that we organise. So I guess my role is sort of ensuring that all of that actually happens in the various ways uh, that are needed. And Alp, you've got a rather interesting title that is Sergeant at Arms. What exactly does that mean? Well, my most visible role is leading the procession at the beginning of public debates. Um, but overall, I help out with the setting up of public debates and upholding tradition during public debates. And what are those types of traditions involved in public debates? Um, well, we start off with a procession where the speakers and the board of ten uh, walk in um, while everyone's standing at the beginning of a public debate. Um, and at the exit, we used to have Shadian uh, was playing, well not playing, we used to sing it, but um, I believe those, those days are gone. Yeah, Gaudianus was a hymn that we used to sing to leave public debates, uh, but then everyone who knew the lyrics graduated, so we've sort of abandoned it into the past and let it sort of sit as a kind of uh, a, a beacon of ancient times. And do you think those traditions surrounding public debate are important or lend a certain air to that entire thing? Or in some ways, do you think it means it might be a bit intimidating for people to participate? I think this is a conversation that we end up having quite a lot about, and especially at the start of like a new president taking over, it's always about whether or not uh, traditions are going to be upheld. I think we've done a lot to promote the idea of traditions being something that is a um, fun characteristic of the debates that makes it feel particularly related to the society rather than something that's exclusionary. So we have red gowns are traditional to be worn at debates so we've got a bank of gowns that we have that we lend out at public debates to make sure that anyone who wants one has access to one. Um, we do we have a little um, order paper and then we have bluffers guides to the traditions both of which have in um, the, the kind of call and response that you're supposed to do. So at the beginning of the debate, um, the president gives a sort of introduction to which uh, the audience responds in certain ways. And then also I think the board serves as a means of making sure that everyone, all of the traditions, like the call and response. So um, we have a little uh, impression that happens at the beginning of the debate. Um, all feel like people are being included rather than excluded. And I think that actually 
as someone who took over and was reasonably um, skeptical about the traditions, I've actually seen it be used as a way to make people significantly more included and like they're a part of something that is like fun and has some kind of history to it. I guess it's quite nice in some ways to have a sort of gravitas behind it as well. But how do you think those types of traditions, or even as you talked about how each president comes to the role and brings something different, influence things like the choice of subject on what you're going to debate on? You talked about accessibility already. Do you consider that when choosing a subject? Yeah, I mean, traditions don't necessarily influence the subject matter that much. Um, in terms of our selection of topics, we have um, the public subcommittee and myself will sit down and have a sort of overly long meeting about where we select motions and topics that we want to run for the semester. Um, before that we circulate a document to all of boards where we ask if anyone has any motions or discussions or speakers that they want they can add them in. Um, this year for example, sorry this semester, we made a concerted effort. We have one person on the committee, well we have multiple people on the committee who are STEM students but one of which is a die-hard STEM student and he really really wanted us to have some debates that were more oriented towards kind of that science base for reference Alpha and I are both history students um, as is the entire public subcommittee not by uh, any fault of our own the electorate um, and so we did a couple of debates this semester for that purpose so we did one about artificial intelligence uh, one about um, environmental radical action and then we had a panel discussion about gene editing research um, in terms of accessibility um, I think in, it's it's important to choose subjects that are broadly interesting to a lot of people. So we go for a diverse set of topics that a lot of people would like, and we go for topics that I think people have a continued interest in. Um, do you think you need to have knowledge on a particular topic to be able to contribute to the debate, or do you think people can come from just their own experiences or opinions and still contribute something valuable? Uh, I think it's... I mean, the overall answer is no, you don't really need to have a base of knowledge. That's what the, the, the structure of the debate allows you to pick up information as you go through. So the kind of speakers that we invite generally are advised to start from the basics and build up, which means that anyone can kind of contribute. To a certain extent, I think that that is somewhat of a limiting factor in terms of participation. Like uh, the artificial intelligence debate, for example, I mean, I know very little about artificial intelligence, but was able to follow the debate though I think if I had wanted to give a contribution from the floor I might have been you know one of the least informed people there so I, I think it depends on, on in that sense but it's not like it's um you have to know enough before going into it to be able to contribute and obviously universities as a whole are always a sort of platform for debate for discussion for learning what do you think the role of debate is in either creating consensus or allowing people to challenge and sort of find ways to support their already preconceived opinions about a particular subject. Yeah, I think I'm, as someone who's pretty uh, strong-minded, uh, it's interesting going into debates with a preconceived opinion and then thinking, am I actually gonna let myself be convinced or am I just gonna double down? Um, I think it's up to individuals about whether or not that's how they want to participate. In terms of how we approach it from a society base, I think we're of the opinion that there are a lot of conversations to be had and a lot of debates to be had about things that are not pre-determined. Uh, so the debate about environmental radical action, um, it, was, it was about whether or not that's the most uh, 
useful or right form of protest, so radical action in comparison to peaceful protest or, you know, lobbying. Um, and I think to go into that with a with a die hard opinion and not want to be have it changed um, is fine. It means that you're probably more aware of the arguments on either side. If you go in and you don't know what your opinion is, then you're probably going to be more informed coming out and you might come out with an opinion. Um, Debate isn't necessarily about creating a consensus, but it's about creating an informed conversation. Um, if that's capable of leading to a consensus, then I think that's great. If it's capable of leading people to be more informed about their own opinion and the opinion of others, I think that's also important. But I've never sort of seen public debates um, or competitive debates as a, as a vessel through which um, we can create people agreeing with one specific fact. I think everything's incredibly nuanced and it's important that people realise that. And obviously St Andrews, from a diversity perspective, we have people from Europe, we have students from the UK, Scotland, America. How do you think that influences people's pre preconceived views or attitudes towards either the actual skill of debating, the way they go around about making an argument, or their views on a certain topic? I mean, it's definitely influential. So in competitive debates, we have um, probably we have more diversity, as far as I'm aware, in competitive debating in terms of like country of origin than we do actually in public debates at the moment, although that's not you know, a consistent fact. Um, and it does make a huge difference in terms of the arguments that people make and the way that people approach different topics. Um, talking to someone from Hong Kong, um, we were talking about a particular motion that was about women's rights. Um, and they had a very different approach and perspective than I did that was kind of based on the fact that they had grown up in a completely different environment than I had. Um, I mean, you are an international student, I don't know if you have a perspective. Uh, yes, for context, uh, both my parents are Turkish and I grew up until my teenage years in Turkey. Um, I would say, including myself and some other international students I've met, depending on who they have interacted with at St Andrews or how how long they've spent in in Scotland or in, in the UK. It I don't know if the, if that is very de that determines how they will approach any given topic. At, at least there's no direct correlation from what I've seen. I think validity is interesting because as soon as you start labelling some opinions of as valid and some as invalid, you have to think about the impact that that has on both the people who are in the conversation as well as the conversation itself. So if um, someone who grew up in Hong Kong, for example, has a different opinion based on experience than I do, um, it's about outlining actually w where the discussion is being had. I think that, I mean, the, the mismatch here I think is important because we're talking about whether or not we're trying to engage in the same conversation or if we're talking at cross purposes and what the goal of our conversation is. Um, and so I think that I'm of the opinion uh, that every opinion is valid because every opinion exists. It's just about whether or not it's an opinion that is based on the same assumptions that I have. And so maybe whether we should be talking about those assumptions and, and coming to some kind of an agreement on assumptions, or if it's trying to achieve the same things that I am having. So my approach to someone who engages in, who potentially doesn't believe that women should have equal rights to men is to basically have a conversation as to, rather than discussing the outcome of that, like which rights are we talking about? It's about talking about 
why is that the opinion that you're coming from? What is the disjoint between myself and you in that sense? And is that rectifiable? Rather than just going straight to the end point and being, well, you're invalid because you don't think that same things as me or because you have an opinion that I think is um, unjust. I think that being said, we're quite careful in the society about the debates that we do have. Um, we've made a concerted decision to avoid debates that discuss um, people's identity. I don't think that those debates are productive, especially not in the setting that we have them. And I don't really want to give platform to people who um, question people's identity and to potentially increase the level of violence that is faced against communities. So in that way, do you think there is a line where opinions become offensive and therefore they shouldn't be given a platform? Or do you believe that all opinions should have a platform to be aired so that you can challenge the preconceptions on which they're based and therefore go to the root and try and explain them or explain why someone has reached that conclusion? It depends who you are and it depends on what the platform is. So. As a society, it's wrong for us to give someone a platform who advocates for things that would cause significant harm to certain individuals or groups based on whatever. Um, it's wrong for that because um, that's not what our purpose as a society is. Um, if you as an individual want to engage with people in that vein, um, that's different. And I'm not someone who is going to criticise you for doing that. I think that um, to that end, um, any opinion could be offensive in the wrong audience. That's not to say that, you know, opinions that are invalidating or are detrimental to individuals or cause harm um, are not, you know, things that are bad and cause harm. I'm just saying that, like, um, if one were to be in favour of environmental radical action, if you were to go and give a speech to an oil company, then that would be a pretty hostile audience that would mean that your opinion would be reasonably offensive. So I think that there's a certain level of nuance that has to happen. I think that we, as a society, had a conversation um, last year um, when, because um, this was directly relevant to us, and we didn't make a public statement about it for various reasons, um, about the trans visual that was being held and the statement that came out of the, the principal's office that was about how this is an important time for discussion and I think that that was detrimental to actually the discussion because that was implying that someone's identity was up for conversation and was up for, you know, something that could be invalidated, invalidated just based on opinion. That's not what we're talking about and that's not what we're about as a society. The conversations that we want to promote are conversations that improve people's um, awareness about things or understanding of nuanced topics. Um, and I think if you look at the term card that we've put out and the debates that we've had this semester, it's really obvious the things that we think are important to be to be discussed and the kinds of topics. And then in a broader sense, if you broaden that out to universities in general, where a lot of them employ this idea of having a safe space where certain people won't be invited to give lectures or speeches because of their opinions and because their views can be seen as offensive. Do you think that's a good thing? Um, I think that safe spaces are a good thing. Um, I think um, we do a lot of work to make sure that everyone, regardless of identity or, um, you know, kind of accessibility requirements, whether they be like financial or physical, feels like debating society is a place where they can be and where they are welcome. Um, we've got a reasonably diverse committee. Um, but regardless of that, we have done a lot of work aside from that to ensure that that is a place that is safe. That's different from a safe place. 
I think the issue that I potentially take with um, the formalization of um, we won't invite X group um, or the statements made about, hey, we're not inviting like this person for X, Y, Z reason is that it encourages and it gives people an opportunity to say, um, to, to have basically this conversation about free speech. Um, so whether or not uh, free speech is something that debating societies are upholding or if they're limiting by preventing people from coming. And it's like, well, in actuality, um, having anyone give a con- have a, give a speech or whatever is, is promoting free speech because you are increasing the amount of speech that is being given. Um, and I think that to say that debating societies or universities in general are limiting free speech by preventing certain people from coming is a bit of a wrong way of looking at it because well i guess it's about weighing those things up what's more not more valuable but the harm caused versus the good that could come from it it's more that i think that restricting or sorry putting out a statement saying we're not inviting this person because they have this belief that we think is harmful means that that suddenly becomes a big conversation that people can have protests about and that means that more people are unsafe in reality you don't need to put out that statement you just could not invite that person but do you not think in some ways it's important to justify those decisions because it's a way for the university to say that they're taking a stance on a particular issue and that they're doing something to counter those types of thinking and that they're very outwardly expressing a pushback against a certain a certain level of thought or a certain idea potentially um and i think that different people would have different opinions to me and i think that you know someone who someone else who is also impacted by these things might have a different opinion and there's diversity that exists within different identity groupings but i think that um if i would if i if it were relevant or immediately relevant to me I, my preference would be for the university to make a statement that says we stand by for example trans people um we have done X, Y, or Z in terms of giving them a safe place, um, making sure that the you know the LGBT officer in the union gets enough support in terms of resource. Um, I would rather that they do that and that that is their statement of support rather than saying, "Hey, look at us. We haven't invited someone who questions your identity." I think that that's an easier thing for a university it's to do. Tokenistic in some sense. Yeah, and I think that the reality is that what it does is it causes pushback, mm. and that that pushback is more influential in a negative sense than anything that university has done in terms of taking a step in support. And obviously when it comes to these debates, whether they're held in private or public, they can, in some ways, the very nature of debate is oppositional. It's somebody trying to establish that they are right. Do you think that in some ways leads to a just greater polarization of views or do you think it does really force people to reflect on their own opinions and justify them more? From what I have um, known from speaking to people as, uh, after public debates is that a lot of them will stress that they learned a new viewpoint instead of, oh, I'm opposed to this view more now because of the public debate. But I don't know if what you've heard is different. Do you think the skill of debating and learning how to say your opinion and back it up is more and more important even now and being able to defend what you believe in and learning how to do that in a respectful and productive way i do think that's important i actually think that 
what Alp was talking about is the more important lesson that you learn from debating, which is the more that you interact with the debating society or you go to public debates, or even if you watch live debates online, I wouldn't recommend watching like online debates. I think that those are the like breed of their own. But if you watch kind of, you know, you didn't hear us say this, but debates from the Oxford Union, um, then a lot of the time what you realise is the more you do it, the more valuable it is to be able to engage properly with the other side. And that's not just about being polite, but it's also about being able to understand other viewpoints and um, and respond to them, accept uh, the things that you share in common, the values that you, that you agree on, um, and then find out the specifics of your differences. Um, and then you can work towards productive ends for that. I think that's a far more useful skill. And I think actually, um, that's something that I learned significantly more through doing competitive debating than through public debates. Because, I mean, one, competitive debating you're doing it yourself. And then two, the kind of competitive debating you don't choose your position in the debate. So you get assigned a role and you have to come up with the most strategic argument that you can make for that side. That really encourages you to, I mean, it improves your analytical thinking, but it also really encourages you to think about the most persuasive things that the other side can say which means that not only are you less wedded to your own beliefs, but you're also giving sort of credence to an informed viewpoint from another perspective. And do you think this type of thought through discussion is something that we're lacking in the modern age, where especially a lot of these debates take place about very controversial, high-profile issues, take place 100,000 times a day online, on social media, where people send two or three sentences about a viewpoint, really narrowing it without a sort of in-depth analytical understanding of it. Do you think that debating in real life and the skills that come along with that is something that needs to be revived and importance and significance be given to? I would rather people be political than not. So I think that whilst I don't love the kinds of conversations and the way that people engage online, I'm glad that they are. So I think um, to, to have people discussing important political things and to have people, you know, even if it's just for a second, engaging with things critically, I think is good. Um, but do you think they really do engage with them critically? I think it depends on the individual. It's very easy to take a pessimistic stance and say, oh, these, these Twitter arguments are absolute bullshit. I think that thing that I would say to that is that oftentimes it's very difficult to get across your true meaning in a short number of characters and it's very difficult to um, have the, the the willpower to maybe not reply immediately and take a second and think about it. Um, I think that you know when you get into an argument with your friends that's also a strategy that would be useful for most people to deploy is to not like immediately reply to, to messages that you think are hostile. Um, and I think that oftentimes people don't do that. So I think there's a lot of reasons why it's, it's necessarily bad. I think that oftentimes though, you only see the online and you don't see the way that that translates to conversations that people have in person. So if I were to get into a Twitter beef with someone about a particular opinion, it's quite likely that I would also then have that conversation with people surrounding me and being like, hey, isn't this stupid that they said this? Um, if you surround yourself with curious people or if you, you know, in a university setting where there's a diversity of people, especially in St Andrews, um, it's likely that you'll be confronted with someone who says, um, you know what, actually, I don't agree with you, or maybe they'll phrase it slightly differently. But you're, you're likely to engage in an in-person conversation that is slightly different. Um, 
But on that note of in St Andrews and talking about diversity, do you think that is enough diversity in St Andrews to be having productive conversations where people do have very diverging opinions? Or do you think at the end of the day, people who engage in these debates, specifically in debating societies, are often sort of coming from the same type of community or maybe not even from a social or cultural background, but they have a level of confidence to be able to stand up there and have a public debate. Do you think that means that some voices are go inherently unheard because of that sort of self-selective bias? Um, so, yeah, I disagree just on the premise of the cultural makeup of debate societies. Um, St Andrews is, a like the St Andrews Debate Society is a diverse makeup. Um, I've interacted with a lot of debating societies across Scotland, um, all of which are also very diverse in the people who, who are there, both in terms of uh, cultural upbringing, but also in terms of the, the identities that they have. Um, and I think that that actually encourages for those individuals the capacity to engage in quite a productive conversation. And you're right, the confidence is a huge thing. Um, so being able to engage in conversations is important. I think the reason that I maybe disagree is twofold. On the first, I think that, again, the skill that you learn in debating is the capacity to listen to and understand the opinion of others. So you're more likely to actually, the more you do debating, give credence to those people who don't immediately speak up. And then the second, I think, is also that um, we're just working off of, um, and this is a debating term, the comparative, um, is understanding, actually, I would rather there be some people who share informed opinions and have those debates that potentially people who are very quiet listen to and don't participate in than not have those conversations exist at all. Um, so it's, it's understanding whether or not having that kind of preventing that from taking place or criticising it to the extent that it stops happening is actually achieving the thing that you want it to achieve. Instead, I think that you should do the things that we do, shockingly, which is uh, promote ways for people to get in interested. We do training sessions that are advertised towards beginners that are supposed to give people the skills and the confidence that they need. They're in small settings and then they broaden up to larger settings um, later in the semester. Um, and on a personal note for both of you, how do you think being involved in university debating has helped you or been something that's really contributed been a positive experience as part of your university careers? Um, well, I think there's different aspects of my life that has impacted positively. Uh, one being a new group of friends. Uh, someone, uh, some, it's an environment where um, I'm surrounded by a group of people who are also very interested and very curious. Um, a slight sense of purpose, if you will, uh, helping to organize something that I truly believe makes the university better. Um, yeah. Okay, <laughs> that was a very panicked look. Um, yeah, I think uh, personally it's the people who have made the most difference for me. I think, um, like outside, surrounding yourself with people who are curious and interested. Um, I think I've I've lucked upon a lot of people in the society who I think are some some fantastic people. Um, that's the soppy personal note. Um, if they listen to this, I'm sure they'll be glad. Um, and then I think in terms of just directional purpose, the analytical thinking skills, um, the competitive debating encourages really fast thinking. So 
um, you have 15 minutes with no preparation and no uh, resources to debate, uh, to, to come up with your, your argument and do a debate. And then within the debate, you have to respond very quickly to argumentation that is offered. And, and that just as a skill, it's useful as a general brain training to make sure that you know, you're continuously awake. But it's also useful in terms of then engaging in conversations, being able to quickly understand and respond to things that people are saying. So Cara, when's the next a debate event that people can either come and attend and watch or participate in? Uh, so we're nearing the end of the semester, so uh, the week after this is airing is our last public debate on the Thursday evening. Um, that's going to be very informal, very fun. We're going to have some motions be drawn out of a hat and then anyone who wants to debate them uh, can volunteer themselves and we'll do some sort of fun stuff around that. It's going to be pretty relaxed and informal. Well that sounds great. So thank you very much, Cara. Thank you. And thank you, Al. Thank you. Many thanks to Cara and Alp. You can learn more about the UDS through following their Instagram, at St. A Debates, or alternatively their Facebook, St. Andrews University Debating Society. Public debates are held on each Thursday at 7.30 in Lower Parliament Hall. Everyone is welcome to attend. Competitive training sessions are held at 2 on the top of the Union on Wednesdays. That's it for today. This episode was produced and edited by William Finlater. We'll be back next week.